Welcome to Mastering Agility. If you want to listen to authentic conversations with the most inspiring guests, find like-minded people in the Mastering Agility Discord community, or join both online and face-to-face events, this is the platform for you. Grab a drink, sit back, and join professional scrum trainer Sander Durr and his guests in an all-new episode. Ilana, welcome to the PST Lounge. How are you doing? Ah, I'm good. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. That's always a great opportunity to, to share knowledge and to have some uh, interesting discussions. Fully agree. And this series is all about professional scrum, so there's a big difference between how organizations implement Scrum and how it's intended and how we teach professional Scrum with Scrum.org during our classes. And one of those things that is so overlooked is professional agile leadership. Indeed. What do you feel professional agile leadership should look like? What does it mean? Fantastic question. I would say that... uh, there's a lot of things to uh, to consider. Uh, for me, if we start with organizations and their approach uh, to, to Scrum and Agile, I would say that they stick to the Scrum Guide. And when you open Scrum Guide, you have Product Owner, uh, Scrum Master, and Developers. And uh, what, I, what I saw many times is that the organization is creating Scrum teams and they are completely forgetting about uh, about people around uh, those teams, which mean that they will still have a lot of different managers, a lot of different leaders, and the organizations are not changing their behaviors. They are not um, adapting their roles. Um, and those leaders, they use previously uh, previously known and used tools in this new approach, in this um, new setup, uh, which may lead to, in worst case scenario, a disaster, a big, uh, big problem with motivation, um, and with the teams uh, reporting a lot of impediments. Like, hey, we cannot do something because someone said uh, that, and uh, she is a manager, he is uh, a C-level executive who contacted us and is trying to to uh, influence how we work. And you said self-managing teams. Well, come on, yeah. what's happening? Do you, let's say in such a scenario where a C-level member comes to such a Scrum team and says, hey guys, I think you guys should be doing this and I want to have it delivered by the end of the sprint. What's the proper response to such a thing? I would say Scrum Values. Scrum Values is uh, typically a very good uh, response. Of course, you are not just showing this is a great, a fantastic uh, picture from Scrum.org. Uh, but I would reference to, um, to respect, to openness and to courage. Uh, so in ideal situation, I would um, ask to respect product owner accountability. So uh, they are responsible for product uh, vision, for product mission, for product goals. Mm-hmm. So it's a matter, of course, of conversations. Scrum values are not um, a dog who's, you know, uh, <laughs> waiting for you uh, in the front of the door uh, to just bark at you. It's a tool that will help us uh, move 
into the right direction. So I would say conversations, open conversations, uh, using courage, uh, using still commitment and focus on the goals. It, I would also try to understand why. So this is a very universal question. Why this particular pe person comes to us? Why they come with this particular request? Well, maybe we will we will take it. We will treat it uh, as an important uh, part of our sprint backlog. We will adapt our plan, but we will not do it just because they said so. It should be a matter of a conversation, of common understanding and respecting uh, decisions of product owner because we are creating a product, we are solving complex problem. Yeah, fully agree with that. Often I do see there's a, there's a disbalance when it comes to perceived pressure, let's put it like, like that, as if C-level members are per default higher in the stakeholder power than or they should, the scrum teams should be listening to whatever the C-level says just because they're C-level. Do you feel that that is the case or do you feel like they are a stakeholder and they should be treated um, accordingly rather than just looking at what kind of level that they're at? In ideal world, they are stakeholder. And again, we have a value of respect. We respect our stakeholders. And one of the uh, stances of the product owner is managing stakeholders' expectations, managing stakeholders' needs. So they are important part of the process as stakeholder, and they deserve a respect um, according to uh, to that uh, to that role. But what I perceive, and it is related to both organizational uh, things and to um, psychological, I would say, mm -hmm. uh, is that when higher manager, like, for example, C-level executive comes, there is, you know, an alert, focus on the person, and we have to do it because they, they, uh, they, want, they want us to do it. Um, and the fact is, we also need a change in their approach and mindset because they can always use the power to influence. Okay, I'm a C-level, I can fire you all. How would you behave in that situation as a member of Scrum Team? Yeah, the question that always pops up in such a such circumstances is that, for me, would that be a, a culture that I would want to work for if just because of this, because C-level members are not given whatever they want just because of it, and then fire people, is that something or a, an organization, a culture, a person that I would want to work for. I think that is a question that a lot of organizations can still ask themselves. Like, what is the culture that we would like to have? Uh, how often do you see that happening where organizations really ask that question? Like, what's the culture that we want? Where are we currently? And what can we do to improve that situation? Fantastic question. I think it happens uh, very often, but I observed a very specific law. Maybe I should not say it out loud, but it's super interesting for me. Uh, so uh, let's maybe treat it a bit like a Peter's law, okay? Like a, like a bit of joke, but maybe there is a grain of truth um, related to it. So 
when uh, when I meet a new organization uh, and they want to show me values, I say, yes, please show me. And inside, in my head, I talk to myself, let's look where are the biggest problems they are having currently. Because what I observed is that uh, values are just their hopes, where they want to be. And the problem is, uh, especially for a new joiner, is that they see our value is that every feedback is a gift, let's say, or uh, everyone can contribute. Okay, so this inclusiveness, that sounds fantastic in my view. I would love to be part of such organization. But when it comes to reality, let's go back to our example. Uh, CEO comes or any C-level executives come, and say, hey, you have to do it. And I say, can we talk? This is super important. Please do it. Then, you know, I have this culture crash. Like I felt I was promised this culture that is fantastic and it is consistent with my system of values. While that was just a hope that we hope one day we will be uh, living according to uh, to those values. So long story short, a lot of great conversations are happening in my view. Um, a lot of great ideas, how to build good culture, what kind of organization we want to be. But I see this specific law, like we try to create values out of our biggest problems. So which is a bit funny, to be honest. Oh, yeah, well, I get you. Uh, there's this balance in these kind of discussions, what we want to have and how we're actually actionably treat, are treating it. Like we, we, this is the desire, yet we only focus on output still. I feel we're, we're sort of stuck in, in that, as Martin Dalman calls it, the feature factory, you know, mm-hmm. just cramming out as much stuff as we possibly can. Instead of thinking, what would be our definition of an awesome organization and how, what can we do to improve those kind of things? And I feel that's going to be more and more important, especially now that people understand what Scrum is, what the the, the benefits are for an agile uh, mindset and incorporating that. And then ultimately, you'll see, that's what I feel, this is my perspective, you'll go into a hyper-innovation era, if you will. And what you need for that is for innovation to thrive is for people to flourish. In other words, you need a more psychological safe environment. So organizations hopefully hopefully quote unquote will be forced to think about what does psychological safety means how can we retain our talents our people i think the old traditional viewpoints of management and and you have to do because i tell you will soon demise in complex environments because else they will be outcompeted what do you think about that I fully agree that this is the direction that uh, the organization should take, and I hope they will more and more uh, go into it. And I'm still very surprised that uh, not many people uh, are aware about um, Drive by uh, by Daniel Pink, which in fact is not a book about I'm an influencer, you know, I have a lot of followers, you know, blindfully uh, trust me it's a very scientific book and uh, I think that if you read it or at least you 
you try to, you know, find a short, short movie or short description. Uh, I think it's even a part of the book. Like even Daniel created a very short summary of the book with some good tips and ideas. Yeah. So I think this is something like mind opener, like, hey, motivation does not work as we thought it works, especially in creative work. And if you want to be a true leader, okay, we describe Scrum Master as true leader that serves. Actually, every leader should be a true leader that serves, in my opinion, because this is how you can, on one hand, support people, but also on the other, influence them in a way that they will go with you. They will really follow you, not because you have many followers, but because they see value in it and they will be committed. And fantastic fun fact is that after some, some uh, reaching some kind of level of, um, of payment for their job, mm -hmm. people will look for different factors and those factors cannot be just bought. You have to give it from yourself, from your head, from your heart as a leader. So this is how, going back to first, very first questions, uh, this is how the leaders can create uh, professional leadership in the organization. On one hand, they have to ask, uh, make sure that uh, people have enough money, they have right tools, uh, they are not struggling with the very basic things, but when a certain level is achieved, then this heart, uh, this um, mind, uh, fantastic journey of giving and supporting starts. And this is where you can, uh, on one hand, create this agile environment, but also you can um, gain this um, competitive advantage uh, when you compare yourself uh, as an employer. Yeah. Absolutely. Not taking away the fact that money is still important, right? Especially in these kind of challenging times with the gas price going up, utility bills going through the roof, groceries are getting more expensive. So people are more worried in general. I think the balance should be to take, to, to provide sufficient money to take the whole discussion off the table. Like what's comfortable living? What does comfortable living mean? And how that relates to the accountability that you have, right? Responsibilities, the, the heavier yeah. responsibilities, the more money that you could acquire. But still, that should not be the main focus, in my opinion. Like, the, what makes you happy should be the main focus. Of course, to a certain extent, money makes you happy. But there's also this, this research by Harvard that indicates that the more money you offer, especially when they, those are incentivized, in other words, if you do... 100 sales, just shouting out a number, you get X bonus. If you do 125, you get more bonus. So those numbers will be gamed in or just in order to get that money rather than actually following quality stuff that makes you happy. The very black and white, but that's, you know, the conclusion to the story, to the research was that incentivizing with substantial amounts of money equals the same effect in your brain as cocaine. So money is just as addictive as cocaine, which is weird. It does uh, put a lot of things in place. But then again, you come to the question of like, how do you ensure we focus on something that makes people happy? Do you think that there is, like Scrum is being treated like a one size fits all and we're going to implement here the same way as we're going to do it over there and it should be, you know, that, that, that sil silver bullet. 
Do you feel that rewarding and leadership and, and that balance is still something that you can spread across the whole organization? In other words, the way that you are rewarded, whether that's money or bonus or something else, would be the same as it would be for all your other colleagues? Or would that be more on an individual basis? Uh, I, will, I would love to give you very short answers. Uh, so if I have to use a few words, it depends. And now <laughs> it depends. Yeah, universal answer of the coach or consultant. Uh, exactly. So um, maybe I will tell you a story, okay? So maybe this story will, will explain why I say it depends. Because theoretically, theoretically, because I'm not an expert in those areas, so I will reference to, to some wise people who, who work in, for example, sales. In sales, we still have a very common model of uh, the more you sell, the more money you can expect because it means that man, uh, co company is getting more money thanks to your job. You, you, you are getting more leads, more people paying for the product. Um, so... Theoretically, in sales, it makes sense to have this um, incentives model, uh, which is not uh, which is not aligned with what uh, Daniel Pink is saying about motivation in um, create creative complex work. But my story is that I observed that salespeople who they know the game, they know the rules of the game. The more you sell, the more money you get. To some extent, they were lying. Sometimes they were white, white lies or maybe some great lies. But the fact is they were creating expectations that the product will not get them. Support cannot do it. So the fact was that they were happy because they sold a lot. They gained very nice money. But development teams, scrum teams, were super unhappy because they could not deliver quickly what was a gap uh, in the product that was promised, that is already there or it will be soon. And the uh, team that was super, super unhappy because of the whole situation was support team because they have, they have to handle um, those disappointed customers And they were assessed based on churn. So, in fact, someone started this chain. Someone who get who got money thanks to some kind of <laughs> expectations that cannot be achieved quickly in a reasonable uh, time frame. And in this uh, chain, all other teams and people uh, got frustrated. So, I would say if you want to look for the best uh, possible outcomes, try to understand the whole picture, how the value is coming, what are the places in your system. So this system thinking approach, uh, can how those different things can influence the outcome. Because if you have one place, like in the sales, that they are somehow encouraged by the game, the rules of the game were clear. Want more money? Sell more. So they sold. Yeah, they sold a lot. But the fact is, the company could not grow uh, quickly, and they were struggling to maintain a nice amount of active, satisfied customer customers. 
because they simply c- could not uh, could not give them what was promised. Oh, exactly, and that's where you start to split ways when it comes to expectations, what you were mentioning earlier as well about the values. What kind of values do we want to display and how do we want to enact those? Because there's a difference, of course, between this is what we want, this is what we actually do, and the ability to deliver. Um, but quite often people are just, hey, you want to okay, deliver this? Yeah, sure, I'm going to do it. Even though you're pretty confident that you won't make it. So somewhere quality is going to give, unfortunately. And our previous discussion triggered me, and that was it was looking on the on my other screen. Um, there was this millionaire a couple of, uh, a few years ago called Dan Price. At least he was a millionaire. Not sure if he still is. Uh, but what he did is, you have this salary tower, right? And the, the more you go up in in the organization, the more money they make, and he wanted to have an equal organization, so he just cut his own money, his own uh, allowance, basically his, his salary down, and other people as well. And everyone in the company now makes seventy thousand dollars a year. Beautiful initiative. His people were more happy, and were happier, uh, more satisfaction in the organization, and therefore the quality went up as well. And he's now world renowned for that. And I think that's a beautiful initiative. Not saying that works for every organization. Uh, but he thoroughly thought this through, like, what's the, the culture that we want to have? Uh, how does that relate to money? How, do, how is that going to help our employees? And how is that going to help our retention of our talents? And for them, that re- worked properly. And of course, again, I'm not saying that works in every organization, but that is that leadership that really thinks about this is the culture, these are the values that we want to create. And that circles back to your example, your story of a minute ago as well. Like, how do we, what what are we going to do here? Are we going to promise our customers with stuff and quality that we can't actually deliver? Or are we going to be open here and say, this is what we can deliver. This is what you can expect. Not fully sure if we can make it, but let's see. What's the role in leadership you feel in these kind of examples? Uh, well, again, I would say that we have a bedrock of Scrum values, so openness and courage. And I think it pays off when you treat your customer in a um, partnership way. And it's not easy solution, okay? Because short term, as we discussed, it might be tempting, you know, to sell impossible things. But if you want to go uh, far with your team, with your product, with your customers, I would suggest uh, leaders creating conditions, encouraging being involved in the conversations also with customers uh, about the reality and about the truth. So one of the best examples that I have now in mind is the situation where we um, where we try to forecast uh, what is achievable and what is not uh, as soon as possible using different techniques. We have different uh, different ideas in our Agile and Scrum world. And when we realize that uh, it might be very difficult to deliver what we promised because we had contract, although we have customer collaboration over contract negotiations, the brutal fact of reality is that the customer demand contracts. So what we did is that uh, when we realized 
what are uh, the possible scenarios and that the optimistic scenarios is not very likely to happen, uh, we started conversation with customer. Uh, of course, with leaders, they we made them uh, fully aware. And you know what? No one was super happy because who is happy when you say no? But if you say we cannot because what we can do together to achieve the best possible outcome, uh, maybe it does not create, you know, a glow, a glow around you, but definitely like you are super. Oh. <laughs> but, it, but it creates a foundation for trust and partnership. And long term, some customers will be unhappy because they expect everything will be great. But some of them will realize that they are also not always super. They are not always fantastic. And maybe this is someone we can trust. So if they are saying now, hey, it's difficult, let's collaborate, let's have a conversation. What is the most important for you? By the way, this might be a way how you create your contract more agile, you know? So you will start this conversation and although we created something there, we are creating additional uh, conditions and we agree that this is the most important for our customer and we will focus on that. We will try to deliver the best possible thing. If we have still some spare time, we will move to the next important topic. So it might be a way to change a bit of waterfall contract into a, an agile world, at least to some extent. Yeah, I fully agree. I think that's a that would be a whole new podcast episode on agile contract management because it still is very much needed. You still need contracts. Ultimately, the customer collaboration is still more important. You look at the Agile Manifesto, not saying the Agile Manifesto is holy, uh, but in order to deliver the things that are promised or discussed or written down in the contracts, usually the customer has a huge influence on that. So there's, there's something on, on both ways. Coming back to the original part of the, uh, the discussion, a C-level or any other very influential stakeholder comes into your Scrum team. What is that? How do you ensure that you that everyone involved knows what to expect, what to do? Like, what are the boundaries of autonomy? What are what is expected of agile leadership in those kind of cases? So I think that the leader um, has a very powerful tool and we as Scrum Master coaches can support them a lot to uh, lead by example and to be a living example of uh, those boundaries and those uh, principles, rules that we are going to follow. So basically, I would say agile leader will ask and listen more rather than talk. So active listening asking right questions like uh, how can I support you? What do you need? What uh, should happen so that your work um, can be achieved or will be more effective? Or uh, in general, what kind of problems, issues do you see and how I can support you? Uh, I would say this is a universal um, approach. Um, if the leader wants to join some of the team meetings, that might be also a tricky. I'm not a fan of closing the door, although it, in some cases it might be important to at least do it from time to time. 
but I believe that the leader can uh, hold different hats. And if they show very clearly, like, I will not judge you, I will not cut your salary, I will not fire you because you will openly say about the problems, you're expected to say about the problems and I'm happy to hear about them. I'm happy to look for ways how we can collaborate, how I can support you. So if they can, you know, uh, use those different hats uh, wisely, that might be a super, uh, super useful approach. Uh, So still, I believe that Scrum Team is not a, a bird that we close in a cage. I think it's also a matter of maturing of organization that the leaders can be there, but not as uh, people with, you know, finger and showing, but rather asking. And if they learn to ask, this is a huge step. And the second step, I would say it is closely related to the feedback culture. So if the organization uh, create a feedback as a gift, as a true value, a true uh, fundament for the organization, um, I think that uh, it will also influence the communication with leaders. The best example from, from my history is when leaders were asking others to give, uh, to give the feedback openly, especially in the front of others. So this is a sign of very huge maturity uh, because uh, many, many situations can be avoided if someone gives the feedback. If someone say, hey, I see a risk, I feel that we have ambiguity here, or I I knew that something wrong may, may happen here. So sometimes leaders, they are struggling because people do not feel the space that they can directly tell them. Um, I think it is written in the Netflix book, No Rules Rules, that the best possible scenario is that someone is giving very direct feedback, like, hey, this solution is not good because blah, blah, blah. And then the leader, still in front of others, is saying, thank you so much, thank you. Thanks to your feedback, I will not um, uh, make a mistake. And I'm proud that we hire people like you. So this belonging cues, on one hand, you are grateful, but you are also, you know, giving a feedback to all the culture, to people around that this is why we hire such smart people, to, to tell us openly that there is an issue. Um, I think it also resonates with... Um, extreme ownership so this is yeah i think this is also another example of very mature uh mature behavior that will support agility like the leader who said hey it's my fault and i feel responsible that we had a very serious back on production because i could do something about it and i did not ask you i did not support you uh, I did not uh, find with you some additional tools. So this creates this culture of openness, of uh, looking together for ideas. And I think it's beneficial in, in many, many aspects. It is. But that's that's also where one of the main challenges lies, where people who have been traditionally in power, basically, now have to hand over that control for to support decentralized decision-making and the autonomy of the teams. How do we transition from 
that traditional way to, well, basically here you go, the no rules, rules, let's go. Let's, let's start with something small. So let's use Scrum approach uh, with uh, first, uh, first sprint. I think it's good to practice it. Practice it and in safer, to create a safe environment, start with something that is uh, strictly, strictly related to the team, let them make decisions, help them learn based on those decisions. Um, how, uh, try to uh, use experimental approach, like true empiricism uh, in this learning, unlearning of unuseful habits and beliefs, um, and gradually try to move uh, forward, create, for example, lean coffee with people who can join, but they are not forced, like, you know, open space rule, two feet rule. If you want to join, please join. If not, that's completely fine. It means that you should not, uh, uh, you, you should not be, feel forced. Um, and um, maybe during that link coffee, you will have, you know, a bit of conversation around how to approach, for example, goals, company goals, product goals, uh, how to do it in an effective uh, way for others. Um, and I think that it might be a great point, even if it won't be a decision made by all the group gathered during Lean Coffee, still the wise leader can ask a lot of questions, participate in discussions, make notes, and go back with conclusions like, hey, I heard that... Uh, you feel that those goals are too much top-down. So maybe what is the first step? What is the simplest, the easiest way that we can start with? So I would suggest start with something small, something simple, and practice because the culture will not change uh, during the night. You know, you just wake up and, yay, we have a new culture. It's a process. We, as an organization, we are complete, but we are also a process and this is some kind of continuous improvement uh, that is also happening here. Well, yeah, but often, at least from my perspective as a consultant, we get brought in and we get hired and we get the question, please help us do Scrum and it should be successful within three months. It's not going to happen. Well, that's something that you triggered me with those, uh, 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 what is it, that those habits, those useful or not so useful habits these are so ingrained that we're probably not even aware of them. So I think that's, that's a whole realm for organizations and for team to discover. A retrospective is a perfect, a sprint retrospective, a perfect format for that. Instead of thinking what went well, didn't went well, blah, blah, blah. Think about what potential habits are we displaying here or have ingrained that we might not be aware of yet are limiting us in evolving or delivering more value or creating the culture that we're currently in. One of those habits, for instance, and again, tying that back to what you were saying earlier about the values that we are maybe aware of, where we want to be, but we're not currently there, not discussing these values and where we are relatively towards the progression of actually enacting these values would be a good discussion to have. Do you know the book uh, Atomic Habits by, I think it's James Clear? Uh, no. It's a really interesting book uh, that, that goes into, as the title suggests, small habits that might, if you can concatenate them, do, do them all together, 
slowly progress and improve small steps after a while they get ingrained in your behavior and then ultimately mm -hmm. you improve the whole uh, but so many teams are looking for these large chunks of improvements if we do this then all of a sudden our biggest issues will disappear that's not going to happen usually the biggest issues are because of many underlying behaviors and and, and uh, habits and, and wrongful mindsets and these kind of things so personally i found the atomic habits very interesting so definitely thank you. a recommendation thank you very much so i have to find some more time <laughs> in my already very very strict uh, schedule to to read the book that's that's fantastic that you are saying that because i think it may give me uh, some additional uh, some additional ideas how to explain it uh, to my teams that we start with something small but be committed to make it happen, yep. be committed to your experiment, do it end to end to have a clear start and clear ending with conclusion. Are you going to continue or uh, the experiment was inconclusive? So make it in a scientific way because I think there is a lot of science in the things that we are discussing. Yeah, it is, and I think that's where a lot of organizations go into the wrong direction because they are so focused on the short term, right? Uh, they want to see improvement right away and the same with the implementation of Scrum. It should be done in, in three months. We can follow the, the framework in three months. That's not going to be an issue. We can just schedule that into our agendas and poof, we have Scrum. Proper professional Scrum, as this PSD lounge is intended for, is something completely different. So um, just a small change of, of habits, as the book suggests, takes you about three weeks of perpetually, properly uh, instilling that into your behavior, even the smallest of things, and after a while it will become the habit and then you can start evolving. And that's why usually these proper agile implementations are not done within a year, usually anywhere, depending on the size of your organization, anywhere between three and seven years before you get into a moderately good implementation. Mm -hmm. I fully agree. But there's also a hope, and we as a consultant, we should be aware that our customers might not be happy when we say it openly. Uh, I think that it's good to, from time to time, have an additional stop moment to see, uh, okay, what changed, what happened when we compare three months ago, five months ago, six months ago, and now. And when you, uh, when you do such comparisons, although as you described, you typically do small changes, regularly in experiments trying to improve. You can see this effect of those habits. So if this is done properly, based on my experience, you can still have um, a nice comparison that is uh, giving people hope, giving people the feedback that it was worth doing that. And they can notice many, uh, sometimes, different things, you know, because you, you're, you're, for example, focused on one particular aspect. This is the biggest problem. People fully agree like, hey, this is our issue. We want to improve in that. Let's focus here. But on the other, it, this is not like walls, doors in this our whole big, uh, big uh, house. Those people, in, those different aspects influence each other. People influence each other. So when you work properly, most likely you may be surprised when you do such retrospective after a few months, 
how many different things change even unintentionally because people people talk because they look for inspiration they inspire each other even indirectly you know yeah it is and it makes me picture at one of those trees you know where you have the trunk change and then each branch goes into smaller parts and that's what kind of, that's what what i picture with you or your uh story like this so it concatenates and everything influences each other and i think that's where leadership proper agile leadership comes in as well uh, but with proper agile leadership we don't necessarily just mean management right right especially because we have a lot of management and scrum and in fact uh, many people can do management yeah it depends on uh, what has to be managed so scrum is saying openly like we already discussed we have stakeholders stakeholders management uh, we have a product owner who manages product backlog those expectations uh, product goals and so on uh, we have also sprint backlogs managed by uh, by developers um, so uh, there are plenty of things to manage but i think that in this professional leadership one of the important thing is to make you realize where your management because you are managing of course some of the things but where is this um, where is uh, this constraint where your management ends and where the space for others to uh, to management uh, to to have their own management uh, in place starts so i would say that good agile leader good professional agile leader um, will be aware that even if uh, their teams are not feeling this space, they are not mature, they need support, uh, the path um, and the direction, the goal of this collaboration will be clear, like making them aware where uh, they can use this management, where they can self-manage and allow them to do it. So it will be situational, of course, it will be uh, contextual. So let's not blame leaders who have, sometimes they are using their strong style. I think that uh, it's some kind of uh, wisdom that you gain, that you understand that there's no one universal knife. Sometimes you have to use a different one in a very uh, stressful, chaotic, difficult situation in an, in an organization. I would expect that the leader will use some of the tools. Oh, okay, we cannot come to the decision. We have a, a very, very uh, difficult situation uh, in production. Customers are complaining. Uh, we have a lot of calls, mails, and so on. If the teams are lost, I expect leaders to act. No. But this should not be, let's say, a universal approach and the only one. It's Well, it's quite similar to how we teach uh, that Scrum Masters have different tools in their tool case. The same thing work for leaders. So some of the behaviors, I would say, they are more expected or, for, from my point of view, more typical. But always it's contextual, it's situational. And what is the value of being a, let's say, always manager in 3.0 approach? while the company is in danger that it will bankrupt, okay? So you have to use your tools wisely. Yeah, it has a lot to do with the sense of urgency as well. What is the right thing to do now? What's the burning platform? How, what kind of choices to make there? And 
that's where I think the eight choices of a scrum master, so mentoring, coaching, teaching, uh, upholding scrum, pointing north, take action, actively do nothing, and uphold scrum. Did I mention that? I think those, at least those are the, the eight um, that you want to base your choices on. And those are going to help you move forward. And that doesn't necessarily apply just for Scrum Master, but for every leader. Uh, not just upholding Scrum, but more upholding the value and upholding the mission. Mm-hmm. Like, what do we need to do at this point? Where do we need to go? Obviously, if your house is burning down, you are not going to continue building your shed. If your product is, is if there's a, a production deficit, you're not going to go into technical debt solving because you planned that. No, you're going to go into swarm over that production issue and fix that. But again, then that's where the leadership comes in and they say, all right, I know the scrum guide says you got to focus on the sprint goal, but you got to fix this right now or else. Else is yeah. going to go down the drain. Where should leaders start to evolve? Like, how do we get leaders to be leaders rather than continue the way that they have already, have always been conducting business? Uh, so are you looking for um, ideas how to start it, when to start it? I'm, I'm not sure. Both, but I feel okay. when is a good, good question as well. Uh, if you see... How often just a scrum master or a developer gets sent to a course and then is being is, is expected to be the expert in scrum after a two day course and the rest of the the team and the organization have not been in the same course. You see a lot of misconceptions and misunderstandings, mis- uh, misalignment or misinterpretation and you get a toxified imp- implementation of scrum. So at what stage should leaders get onboarded? Should they get trained? Should they even get trained? How does that work in your opinion? Well, I heard a quite interesting opinion uh, when it comes to preparations of leaders. And I think I can I can agree that this might be one of the uh, options, maybe sometimes the best one. Start training with leaders, actually, or coaching or mentoring with leaders. Why? Because they can support you a lot in this uh, process of uh, organizational changes or they can even do something opposite so because of they un- don't understand or they you know as you mentioned there are many misconceptions uh, on one hand we have plenty of fantastic sources of knowledge but we also have some not so nice i'm i'm very upset when someone is Telling me, hey, Jan, I read just article, please show me. And then I say, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh. <laughs> uh, it's something completely opposite to what I perceive, what we teach at Scrum.org as professional Scrum. And then we, you know, we have this tough conversation uh, so that I can share my view and let's see uh, what we, we are going to do out of it. So I think that if you really have money, budget, and you want to train people, start with training leaders with, for example, PAL-E. You have PAL-E, you have PAL-EBM, fantastic courses that touches two aspects. One, what is professional agile leadership? And second, about evidence-based management. So not making decisions about perceptions 
or uh, based on different um, tools that are related to output only that many organizations know well and they are still focused on that and they get disappointed that in fact we do not see plenty of uh, satisfied customers well maybe because you were focused on uh, wrong metrics so I think it might be really, really great if you start with leaders, because what I also observed is that when you hire smart people and you give them the space, you give them the goals, you ask them to do the best possible thing, they can rediscover, at least to some extent, agility and scrum in their own way. But if the leader is not uh, fully aware of what's going to happen, and they have wrong expectations in their heads, well, Houston, we might have a big problem here. Personally, I, I agree with what 100% what you said, 100%. I feel that if leaders are not the first to do this, they're not leaders, they're laggers. Because what do leaders do? They set the direction. But if they don't understand what direction that is, they're basically giving control out of hand and expect someone else to do that for them because they are the ones who went to such a course. Now they're essentially, they're not leaders anymore. They're the laggers and they have to get up to speed again. So uh, personally, I don't think that you're a leader anymore. If you are not driving this change yet, expect other people to drive it. Having yeah, said, we are yeah? for fully, we are fully aligned here, I think, yeah. I think there's a lot, lot of change to be done. And uh, I think we can achieve quite some, uh, some change over here and uh, overcome a lot of challenges when it comes to this as a last question because we're already uh, quite long in while in, into this discussion um, what would you recommend any organization in starting or somewhere halfway through their endeavor of incorporating scrum in their business what would be your first tip Oh, very generic question. Oh, a lot of things coming to my head. So, uh, well, I, I love one, uh, one word. I even heard recently that I'm using it a lot. So uh, focus on value. So what is the value for you? Uh, and no matter if you even follow uh, Scrum or you, you are just, you know, trying to experiment, uh, looking for different things. I think that Focusing on value, trying to understand uh, where you, you get value of what you do, what is the value uh, in, uh, in your work, uh, how you are uh, approaching gaining value. I think trying to uh, understand it, and you might try to use different means for that. Um, visualization might be one of the great things to to have this uh, drone in any, any tools like Mural, Miro, whatever works for you, whiteboard, paper. But having this conversation, how this value flows, um, where uh, where we gain, uh, why we gain uh, value, it might be a very good uh, starting point. Perfect. Johanna, I really enjoyed this discussion. It was a delight to have you. Thank you very much for being here. Thank you. The pleasure is all mine. And thank you once again for having me. Great, uh, great opportunity. And uh, please continue doing great stuff and sharing what professional Scrum is, not zombie Scrum <laughs> or mechanical Scrum. I hope to have you here again. That is all for today. Thank you for listening. 
If you liked this episode, let us know by hitting that like button, share it with friends and colleagues, sharing a message on LinkedIn, or joining our warm and welcoming Discord community. You can find all the relevant links in the show notes. We hope you'll tune back in for the next episode of the Mastering Agility podcast.